Hi. In this summer series, Barriers to Belief, we are addressing common barriers that people have to embrace the Christian faith. The particular barrier we talk about may not be a barrier for you, but if you are one who has faith in Jesus, the series is designed to equip you for the conversations you are likely to have if you are living on mission, engaging in conversation with family, friends, and neighbors. It will also strengthen you personally as the influence of objections and contrary perspectives may be having more impact on you and me than we may be aware of. Today's barrier is that of restrictions. Think rules, do's, don'ts. Every once in a while, grandparents will have this opportunity to look after their grandchildren for a few hours, a day or days, and there is this temptation for them to be, well, let's just say a little more lax about the boundaries and restrictions that would be the norm. More sweets, more screen time, later bedtimes. I mean, grandkids love it, at least in the moment. But then comes the aftermath, the next day or days, tiredness, moodiness, meltdowns. I'm thinking it's an insightful snapshot into the interrelationship between boundaries, restrictions, and what really makes for the best life. This is a question that is relentlessly there for most of us. What makes for the best life is a question that we are all intuitively trying to answer, aren't we? And then we fashion the way we live to align with that to, to the best of our ability. So where does your idea of the best life lead? Does it have something to do with well, to do what I want, when I want, a freedom to be me, a life without restrictions? If so, you would be consistent not only with grandkids, but with culture. Today's culture, wherein it is often argued the highest value is individual freedom and happiness, which means for us to have a conversation about faith and faith in Jesus, this does lead for many to a barrier to belief. I mean, if the best life is one of freedom, isn't it obvious I should reject a belief system so filled with restrictions as found in the way of Christianity? On the surface, it may seem so. But take a step back with me. Does the absence of restrictions truly lead to the best life? Does that work in reality? I think we can all think of circumstances where a restriction or restrictions, plural, of some sort are actually what's best. I mean, the classic example is in raising children. My daughters have this practice with their little kids when they are out and they're walking about and they approach a crossing in the road. The child is to restrict themselves to mommy or daddy's side and to put their hand into the parent's hand. An explanation is given, but I'm sure it hardly registers with the child. Something about danger and cars and accidents. It seems weird to the child. I mean, they can run around and have all this fun and freedom and then stop, wait, look both ways hold mommy's hand, cross the street, and then you're free again. Stoves, window seals, high railings. The parent knows things their children does not yet comprehend the danger of. And out of goodness and love for the child, the parent warns and restricts. It is unquestionably for the best. In this case, the absence of restrictions would not lead to the best life, not for the child. What about us, adults? Think of your own life and just one slice of it, your finances. What if you were to practice spending without holding anything back? Buy what you want, when you want, spoil yourself with goods and travel and entertainment. Without restriction, spend your savings if you have any. Run up your credit cards and maximize your debt. Will it be fun at first? Absolutely. But what will happen next? A reckoning will surely come. 
and the spending spree will be followed by a prolonged, painful period of slavery to debt that will severely hamper your decision, all your decisions, in the days going forward. This is in fact a reality for many who have let their desires for consumption exceed their actual financial means. But think about your diet. Say you have an inclination like I do. Everything desserts. You decide to eat without restrictions all the sweets your stomach craves. Endlessly. Ice cream, pie, pop, tuxedo cake, croissants, donuts, and something I discovered this summer in Kelowna. Cronuts. You probably guessed. The combination of croissants and donuts. So good. Will unrestrained indulgence <laughs> feel good initially? Yeah. But for how long? What will happen to your complexion, your weight, your health? Does the absence of restrictions lead to the best life? Okay, think beyond yourself, to your city. Take its roadways. No restrictive speed limits, no traffic lights. How are you gonna feel about crossing the road, merging onto the road? How are you going to know when it's safe to stop and start? What can you know to expect from the other driver when he or she can do whatever she wants? How safe are the kids in the school zone and pedestrians crossing South Fraser Way? Would the absence of restrictions be good for all? Let's take it to the ridiculous. What if, in the name of freedom, your city removed all zoning restrictions? So you may be currently living in a nice, cozy subdivision, but now your neighbor across the street can start a small mushroom farm complete with that sweet smell of money called manure. Or start an auto wrecker, a business car parts all over his front lawn. How beautiful. And agricultural land so carefully protected today can now become massive asphalt jungles. Would that absence of restrictions be good for you, for society? I'm hoping we can agree that as a general principle, some restrictions are necessary for the good of life, or our protection, our safety, our health, and the flourishing of our society. But what restrictions, and in what way? And who is to decide? What if it's not that I'm against restraints and restrictions, but that I don't like the emphasis on restrictions in Christianity and the particular restrictions that are present in Christianity? Let's go there. The first thing I would say is this. Rule keeping or restrictions as the focus of a way of life is something that true Christianity is against. It's not that there isn't a way that is prescribed for Christians to live by. There are do's and don'ts. But it might surprise you that the way of Christ is actually purposed to bring you into true freedom. I'm reading from the New Testament in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The early church leader, Apostle Paul, is writing to a people who have become believers in Christ, but they're struggling with how to live in this new way, and they want to keep some of their old ways, which have very much to do with keeping their law. For them, life was very much centered on rule-keeping and its importance to having a right relationship with God. The better you perform, the better you are with God. This is what we call legalism. When you're good, you're good with God. When you're not, you're not so sure. And it's just so hard to keep that up. And inevitably, a person is doomed to fail. And then, where does that leave you with God? It is a burden too difficult to bear. As Paul puts it here, it becomes a yoke of slavery. If you're against Christianity as a religion of do's and don'ts, so is Jesus. 
Don't reject Christianity based on a false conception of what the way of Jesus is about. Jesus came to bring a better way. For freedom, Christ has set us free. You become good with God, not by you being good, but by trusting in the goodness of Jesus, by putting your faith in what he has done for you through his life, his death, and his resurrection. He lived a perfect life, so he's always good with God, and in him, and only in him, so are you. This will change how you think and live, but that change is a result and not the cause. So then, if rule-keeping is not the fountainhead of what Christianity is about, why do so many people get the impression that Christianity is all about the rules? Well, sadly, from Christians. See, we can know intellectually that we are saved by God's gift of grace. We can affirm our right standing with God is completely dependent upon our faith in Jesus, and yet think and live as, as if it's our efforts that make all the difference. Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson addresses this subject through a survey of some of his country's religious history. In doing so, he says this, legalism is embedded in the human heart virtually from the very day of man's creation and resides in us from conception. Ferguson says, it's not like you can diagnose legalism as a doctor, prescribe the cure, which is to put your faith and trust in Jesus for your rightness with God, and, and you're done with it. Legalism has a virus-like persistence. Like Hydra, the multi-headed sea monster snake in Greek mythology, you cut off one head and two appear. Or like Agent Smith in The Matrix, you think you've killed him, but there he is again and again. So it is with legalism. We're affected by it more than we think. Like when you only feel acceptable with God when you feel like you have been obedient enough to what God says. Or when you're more angry with yourself when you miss the mark than sorry to how it affects God. When you take pride in your ability to keep the rule set you see in scripture. Or conversely, when you beat yourself up, when you messed up until you perform rightly again. When you offer acceptance to others based on their behavior or performance. See, in legalism, you're only in when you measure up to the standard, whatever that is. Other symptoms of legalism are, you're unsure of your salvation. You wonder, have I done enough? Or being right is more important than being kind. And details become more important than the heart of the matter. And there is a lack of grace towards one another. Legalism is alive and well today. In contrast, the gospel is a gift. It is grace, and by definition, grace is completely unmerited. And yet the Galatians, like we, are so bent to, to do is to want to make human effort part of the equation, Christ plus something. And it may seem weird to us today, but for the Galatians, that was represented in their tradition of circumcision. In their mind, to be a true follower of Jesus, this needed to be part of the picture. But Paul counters, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. When you start adding your work as necessary, when you make your Christianity to be Christ plus something, you've lost your way. Christ is of no advantage to you. Verse four, you are severed from Christ. You are fallen away from grace. Paul marveled that the Galatians would so quickly turn to a distortion of what is supposed to be good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Legalism turns that good news into something ugly. And that is why Paul's language is so strong to the Galatians. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
This persuasion is not from him who calls you. And then he says, I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. That's pretty graphic, but it shows Paul's disgust with legalism. If legalism is what Christianity is all about, God's great apostle would reject it too. Some of you may be familiar with the name Terry Crews. You may know to recognize him as a former football player, actor, or the current host of America's Got Talent, but you may not know his story. Terry grew up in a dysfunctional home with an abusive father and a mother he would say was addicted to religion. Christian in name, but legalistic in practice. There were a lot of rules. For example, he wasn't allowed to listen to secular music, and given his upbringing, upbringing he felt guilty for liking it. His life was very much about shame and guilt and pleasing and not getting caught. He says you never knew if you were doing enough, if you prayed enough, if you sought God enough, if you measured up enough. There is always something more for you to do. So hustle, 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 and hopefully, just maybe, like Indiana Jones, he says, you scoop underneath that rock and right when that door closes, you squeak into heaven if God sees you good enough. As much as he hated it, this legalism stuck with Terry and later in his adult life, while on one hand, having this religious facade of being a good Christian man, he became trapped to his desires and porn became a secret addiction he couldn't get free from. Now some might say, so what's wrong with porn? I mean, be free, man. That doesn't hurt anyone, but it did. In his worst night, Terry acted out what he often watched, and though married, he went to a massage parlor where he got intimate with his masseuse. Not restricting his sexual freedom caused great damage to his relationship with his wife. Terry's story ends up as an incredible story of redemption, but it illustrates that both legalism on one hand and unrestricted freedom to desires on the other hand both fail to lead to the best life. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, to a mixed audience of religious and non-religious, Jesus tells this well-remembered parable of a man's two sons. The one, often referred to as the prodigal son, takes the way of desire. He shames his father by asking for his inheritance while the father is still alive. And he spends that inheritance recklessly. Freedom! Only to become, only to come to the end of himself, broken and destitute. He is surely lost. But so is his older brother. When the prodigal returns home, the father's abundant welcome of the prodigal is scorned by the elder brother. His response reveals he has lived not so much out of love for the father, but out of duty and reward. Legalistic like the Pharisees and the scribes who are listening in. Legalism and lawlessness are ditches that lead to death, but there's a third and a right way that leads to life. Paul is advocating it has got to be centered in relationship with Jesus alone. Out of love, it is, to, it is Jesus that is to be central to your thoughts about yourself, to your world, your way. It is not Christ plus something. It's about everything centered on and in Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you, and then to live in a daily relationship with God through Christ's spirit. Paul says in verse 16, but I say, walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, Paul lists some of the outcomes of living according to your desires. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So yes, there are things that Christians are not to do. And this may be significant to your barrier. You are not to do things, ascribe to certain ways of thinking that you want to. But you have to ask yourself, who is better to determine what our restrictions should be? You? Anyone? Everyone? Doing what they want to do? Or how about the one who created this world and knows how it should function? The one who, like a parent, sees and knows things that his kids can't possibly comprehend? You may wrestle with understanding certain prohibitions and guidelines that present themselves in the way of Christ. Choosing our way or God's way has from the beginning been the fundamental choice. And in the biblical story, choosing our way over his has never worked. I mean, to be real, there are times the desires within me want to choose my way over God's. And I'm sure you've experienced that right. It's there within us. But I don't ever want to doubt that God's way is the right way. See, at the root of both lawlessness and legalism, legalism is a false picture of, of God and that he is one who withholds things from us, that he does not have our best at heart. But I want to see and choose the way of the one who not only created me, but who loves me and gave himself for me. The one who sacrificed his life on a brutal cross so that I can be forgiven of my wrongdoings. We can be forgiven be freed from the guilt of wrongs called sin, freed from the sin's penalty and its power. For freedom, true freedom, Christ came to set us free. So submitting to God's way and restraints is not like gritting our teeth, but, in a living, but living out a loving relationship with God himself through his spirit. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In our recent series, Rhythms That Lead to Life, we talked about how we don't want to be like the church in Galatia, defaulting to our own plans and efforts. We don't want to live disconnected lives from the one who's to be our source of life and power. We don't want to be Teslas with all the potential in the world but have no charge because we're not plugged in. We need the Holy Spirit. As Paul says here, we need to walk in the Holy Spirit. What does that even mean? Well, to walk is a metaphorical term, which means to live moving forward. God wants to take you somewhere. That's why Paul says we need to keep in step with the Spirit. So it is a relationship centered on Jesus, whereby we daily live interacting with Jesus' Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. We relate to him. We talk to him. We bring our whole self to him. And in that relationship, we let him lead. Our choices, freedoms, and restrictions are based on his direction. We engage back and forth with God through his spirit, just like you would with a friend. And in this extraordinary relationship, you position, your, you position yourself for that through prayer and worship, through Christian community, through engaging the Bible, and through obedience. God wants to meet you in these things today and every day. Now, you can do these things religiously, legalistically, but if your desire is to know him and walk with him, it will be so very different and it will grow. 
Because what will happen is that your right picture of who God is and who you are and who he has made you to be and the future that he has in store for you will grip your heart and change your affections, give you life. Look at the picture Paul paints that this takes us to. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The way of freedom made possible in Christ leads us not into self-indulgence or legalistic religion, but into Christ's way of love. And this leads to pleasure with no regret, joy and peace regardless of circumstances, and qualities of character that are so beautiful, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. It leads to a freedom to restrict ourselves, self-control, so that instead of our desires ruling over us, we are truly free to give our lives away for the sake of God and for the sake of others. This truly is the best life.